Good morning. Today's scripture is from the book book of Deuteronomy and is on page 7 and 8 of your worship guide. It follows the delivery of the Ten Commandments, and Moses is speaking to the people, getting down to the real summary page. I have to say that, with the exception of all those begats, this may be the longest run-on sentence in the Bible, but I'll do my best. Now, these are the commandments, the regulations, and the case laws that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you to follow in the land you are entering to possess, so that you will fear the Lord your God by keeping all his regulations and his commandments that I am commanding you, both you and your sons and daughters, all the days of your life, so that you will lengthen your life. Listen to them, Israel. Follow them carefully, so that things will go well for you, and so that you will continue to multiply exactly as the Lord, your ancestors' God, promised you in a land full of milk and honey. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord, the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. What does the Lord your God ask of you? Only this, to revere the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, by loving him, by serving the Lord your God with all your heart and being, and by keeping the Lord's commandments and his regulations that I'm commanding you right now. It's for your own good. The word of the Lord for the people of God. So for a few weeks uh, before Advent, I was trying to think of something that we could consider and think about as a community of faith. And this just kind of came to mind a, a couple of weeks ago, particularly in the midst of everything that we've been experiencing and what we've been seeing in our world around us. And And it's been rumbling in my soul this relevant topic of what it means for us to be a community that is trying to figure out how to make a difference in the world. And how increasingly harder it seems for each one of us to practice this idea of love. Because we believe that it has power. To love God, to love our neighbor, and especially to love our enemy has a certain power. With all that we're experiencing, how do we practice that? The writer of 1 John says that God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. That's a a central kind of belief that we have as a community of faith, as a people of God, is that we're supposed to be in love with God to the point that God remains in us, and from that we have the ability to impact the world through that love. But I wonder how much of a struggle that might be for each of us. Because sometimes we... We want to be more friends with God than maybe in love with God. The demands of being in love with God might be a high thing, a high 
price to some of us to pay. But think about the profound impact it could have if all of us found ourselves perfected in that love, truly in love with God. As we begin this morning, though, I, I want you to take a moment to, to maybe sit up straight for a second. Just, just kind of sit up straight, shoulders back. Eyes open or eyes closed, your choice, but I want you to take a deep breath. Hold it for a second, let it out. Take another deep breath. Hold it for a second, let it out. That's our collective sigh of relief, that all the political ads are over. (laughs) Amen? Right? At least for the next six months, you get a little relief from it. Right? We all need that kind of relief. And here's why I think it's necessary, even to take that kind of exercise, to be reminded that we need to release some of the tension that we're feeling from the rhetoric that we are experiencing in the world. Because we know that we live in a world where people are picking sides, and from those sides there are winners and there are losers. Right? We've got this insatiable need to have winners and losers in our culture. Now think with me just for a moment about the the outcomes of that insatiable nature nature that we have to win and to lose, right? I grew up in the day and age before participation trophies. You all know what those are, right? Everybody gets a trophy nowadays, right? But I I remember the days when there were such things on the field as winners and losers. When I grew up, we played a lot of different sports growing up, and we did, a lot of them were unorganized. We'd just go out and we'd hang out together. We'd play basketball or baseball. We'd get together and have a softball game or we'd play football. During the fall season, the guys that were in my youth group, we would go out on Sunday afternoons after church and we'd play football together. Because in the late 1970s, you didn't waste your time or your money watching the Chiefs. Amen? You remember those days, friends? They were a bad team. You just didn't waste your time. So us kids, we'd go out and we'd play football. Now, we didn't play touch or flag. We played tackle football without pads. Most of you probably recognize now why I'm a little off in the head. (laughs) Got smacked around too many times getting tackled out on the football field, right? But if you think about it, when we were done playing on Sundays, there was always for us a team that won and a team that lost. We, we We were just taught that when you go out and you play, you play hard, but at the end, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. Now, I might be stating the obvious, but I, we still live in this kind of world, this very divided world in which people are competing, and they're competing over power and control and resources, and so we live in a world where there are winners and losers. We live in a very divided world around us. Think about the conversation that's going on in the United Methodist Church. It has been going on for 40-plus years over one particular thing human sexuality, and how we deal with that, right? We're going to have a special session of general conference in February of next year, and we think we might be able to resolve this. Probably at the end of it, there's still going to be a few winners and a lot of losers, because it's not that easy for us to resolve. You know we live in a culture where we've got a growing generational divide, right? Us baby boomers are still trying to figure out what the millennials are all about. And the millennials are just waiting for us baby boomers to move aside. Think about the conversation that's happening around the House of Representatives and who's going to be the next speaker. And the younger folks that are pressing against 
the boomer generation that's always been in control. We've got a, a growing generational divide. We've got a widening cultural divide around us as well. There are those of us who are high, holding on tightly to our Judeo-Christian values, and we're hoping and praying that our country comes back around to its senses and re-grasp them, re-embrace them, that we might live into it, while we've got a whole group of progressive folks who believe that it's time maybe for us to shed that value system because it's not as inclusive and diverse as maybe some other ways in which we could live. So we've got a culture war going on. Dare I mention again that four-letter word of politics? I mean, good Lord, if there's anything else in our society that defines how divided we are, it's our political system, amen? Right? Red versus blue, rural versus urban, young versus old, man versus woman conservative versus liberal, white, brown, black, and on. All of these ways in which we have divided ourselves and it has probably become our most divisive program or way in which we see ourselves. In many of these areas of life, we've just become polarized and that polarization makes it almost impossible for us to love. Today I would suggest that it includes loving God because we might find God in the midst of some of this and we may see God absent in some of this as well. And yet I'm going to say to you that I believe that the antidote of our division is love. It begins with us practicing this love of God and daily striving to love God in our world as well. Now let's pause for a moment. I said this morning as you came in, if you were cold, sit on the left. If you were hot, if you were hot sit on the, on the right. That's the right, my left. And if you were cold, sit over here. Now, do you need to switch, anybody? Because I saw the Soxmans get up. I thought they were leaving on me in the middle of my sermon. I was like, what did I say that could have offended you? If you need to move, feel free to move around because it gets a little bright on this side and it's going to get a little warm too. But if you think about it, in the beginning when God created, God pronounced everything as what? Good. Right? God said, in the beginning, he created everything. Everything was good that God created. When Adam and Eve were created, all that they knew was the goodness that God had created for them to live in. And God said, you can eat of the tree of life so that you might dwell with me in this perfect garden and we might exist together in perfect love. That's what God wanted for them. And that's what God created for them to dwell in. The only tree that God said they couldn't eat from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you think about this, really the only thing that they ever would have gained from eating the fruit of that tree was the knowledge of evil, because they already knew goodness. They were living in the goodness of God. They were living in that perfect love and that perfect existence with God. So when you think about this, when the first humans eat of that fruit, what do they lose? They lose eternal life. They lose the perfect garden. They lost their fellowship with God. They lost perfect love in that moment. What they inherited was a struggle to find love again. So God created for them a life early on that was about patience and kindness. It was a life that was lived in gentleness and harmony. It was a life of peace and love. What they inherited at the fall was jealousy, boasting, arrogance and rudeness and selfishness. Irritability became a part of who we are. Discord, strife, and division. They lost touch with love, especially their love for God. And what they got in the end was winners and losers. Now think about the Hebrew people who are now 
coming to the end of their wilderness journey. They are on the cusp of going into the land. This is their final moment with Moses, as Moses is giving them the reformed Decalogue on the tablets. And he says to them that this is what God wants you to remember. There is a potential for you to regain love with God if you will remember these things. As you enter into the land, as you go into, remember to practice these laws and these commands because they will form you into a community of love. God wanted them to embrace God first, to love God and love God only, to avoid the idols that the people in the land worshipped. You've heard me say this before. God didn't have it out for the people in the land. God didn't have it out for the Hivites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. God had nothing against the Gergesites and the Perizzites or the Canaanites or the Amorites. What God had against them was their detestable practices. God didn't like their idolatry. And so God desired that the covenant people, as they went into Israel, would seek God with all of their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength, that they would love God, not fall in love with the idols of the people. So they were encouraged to practice this, but not in practice just as an internal kind of perspective or religion. It wasn't about their feelings or their emotions or their little private matter. It was a public thing for them, right? There were outward signs that were supposed to be amongst them and visible in them that showed that they were a people striving to practice this love of God. They were supposed to have it engraved on their hearts. They were supposed to wrap it around their forehead, bind their wrists and their hands with it, write it on the doorpost of their home, teach it to all of their children, and dwell upon those commands day and night. They were supposed to be preoccupied with what it meant for them to love God. I think the same could be true for us today. I think it's relevant for us today to be a people who are trying to figure out how to practice that very thing in our own lives. That we should be a people who have it engraved upon our hearts, this command to love God above all, above all things. To strive after loving God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. That we should be clothed in these commands. Have them written down on our own hands and our own forehead. Have them etched into our heart. That we're teaching our children these things and that we're constantly going after it day and night to practice love, to practice love of God. But if you think about this for a moment, it isn't just a private matter for us as well. That this love of God is supposed to be an external practice, something that influences the world around us. Over the past five-plus years at St. John's, I think I've had the privilege of officiating about 90 or so weddings here at this church. It's kind of amazing to be at that point after five-plus years. Dale's been at almost all of them. Dale, where are you? He's been at almost all of them as well. He knows. Now, one of the things about weddings at St. John's, if you didn't know this, is, is that we require premarital counseling for all of our couples that get married here, which means I spend about three and a half hours with every young couple before they ever come to their rehearsal or their wedding day. One-third of our time is spent on communication and conflict. If you read the statistics, 50% of first marriages end in divorce, right? And one of, the be- one of the number one reasons is irreconcilable differences, which literally means that you've had two people who have tried to win all of their relationship and both of them wound up losing at the end of the relationship. I actually tell young couples that that when you get into an argument with one another, if your goal is to win the argument, both of you have already lost. 
right? That you really need to figure out how to understand one another rather than simply just being heard and understood. That you're never going to get to the point where you see the world exactly alike. You've got to figure out how to understand how the other person sees the world so that you can see where they're coming from. It goes back to a Stephen Covey principle from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Principle number five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. For young couples to learn what it means to ask questions of one another so that they might search and understand where their partner is coming from, to seek first to understand, it casts aside the practice and the need for you to win and have a loser rather to grow together in intimacy and in love. I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to seek first to understand. We need to understand who God is and what God commands of us as people that are trying to figure out how to love God. So maybe we go back again to 1 John and we think about it this way. 1 John says that this is what God's requiring of us as a community. He says, Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. And this is how we know that God is love and this love is revealed in us. God has sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. It is not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice for us. He goes on to write and says, God is love and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. Now listen to this last part. Because this is where the practice, this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to John. He says, we love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates a brother or a sister, he is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or a sister who can be seen cannot love God who cannot be seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and their sister also. You see, the practice for me of loving God isn't simply an inner journey. It isn't simply an inner quest that we go on. It transpires in the activities of our lives. Loving God becomes a part of us as we learn to love those who are around us, whether they be family, friend, or neighbor. Practicing the love of those around us brings us to the point where we can love God and know that God remains in us. So we've got to be a people then to figure out how to practice this each and every day. I think it means that we have to cast aside our winner and loser kinds of mentalities, envy and strife. We need to let go of arrogance and boasting and rudeness. Put aside selfishness. We need to seek to be a people who live differently and practice different things. Which means that things like peace and patience should emanate from our hearts and our lives. We should figure out how to be more kind and gentle. We should be meek. We should seek forgiveness at every turn and reconciliation whenever possible. We should seek first to understand these things and practice them. For there, we will find the love of God. Because in my mind, if we continue to strive to win, we're all going to continue to lose. I would propose to you 
that what we lose is the love of God. And that's too precious a gift for each of us to lose. So here's what I believe God's inviting us to this morning. And I think as we get up each and every day, as you get up each and every morning, how do you center yourself in this journey towards the heart of God, towards loving God? How do you engrave on your hearts the command to love God above all others? How do you wrap your daily life in this command? How do you wrap your home in it? Are you teaching it to your children? Are you dwelling upon it every spare moment of your day? Are you journeying to the love of God so that God might remain in you? Which means then we probably need to also figure out how to reject a few things each day, right? To reject division in our world, which is the practice of seeking first to understand. By practicing seeking first to understand. We need to strive to live each day in peace and patience, kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and meekness. We need to cast aside all the other things so that maybe then we can come to love God and maybe change the world. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? Gracious and holy God, as we come before you, we might dwell upon these things for a moment as we think. How many of us feel like we are so disconnected from what's going on in the world? Disgruntled. Distraught. We find ourselves each morning getting up and we might be wringing our hands, wondering, what now, O oh God? What's wrong with our world today and how are we going to see that on the news, in the paper, hear about it on the radio, witness it in our daily walk? We know that we are a world divided, that we are a people divided, even in our houses of worship. Yet what we seek is a unity because we know in that unity, O oh God, is your peace and your harmony. It brings us back closer to what you want us to inhabit as your creation. It brings us closer to you. Help us each and every day to seek your heart and your will. Help us to learn what it means for us to love you and that it requires some simple practices in our daily lives for us to, to find ourselves centered in these things, to strive after them with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, to love you first and only as our God, to teach those around us, to find moments each day where we are reminded of that, so that we might combat the divisive nature of our so that we might find ourselves living in your love. May that be our journey this day and each day forward, O oh God. By the power of your Spirit, may you draw us into this and give us the will to do and to be your people, bound together in your love. In Christ's name we pray.